0: Welcome to Into the Boundary, the podcast with no boundaries, where sports meet real life. I'm your host, Lou Mobley, and today we have one of the most decorated point guards to come out of Philadelphia. PA, player of the year, two-time first-team All-State, McDonald All-American nominee, state champion, led Newman Garetti to a record of 30-1 and his senior year. He played at Wake Forest and Villanova, Tony Chenault.
1: Man, thank you already know what it is, man. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it,
0: bro. Seriously, bro. Yeah, man. I feel like I spoke this one into existence on my, <laughs> uh, on our trailer episode. Mm-hmm. Um, You're one of the people I named that I would like to catch up in person. I kind of feel like I put that in the
1: universe. Mm-hmm. And Lower come, attraction. Come, <laughs> come a couple weeks later, I got you <laughs> over
0: here, man. So it was real exciting to have you here. Jumping right into it. Um, mm-hmm. Who the best coach you played for? Uh,
1: that's, that's a tough question. Um i say the coach I was the most successful under was probably Coach Carl. You know, I'm a type of player that I, if I, if I know the coach got my back 110%, I run through a brick wall for a coach no matter what he wants me to do. And um, I always felt like Coach Carl had that extreme confidence level in me and supported me no matter what as a player. That's why I always enjoyed um, my time playing for Coach Carl and him get ready. But I had some other great coaches in the collegiate level and even in AAU as well. That's dope, man.
0: So, what's your first introduction into sports?
1: Man, to tell you the truth, growing up, I, I was a late bloomer. I didn't start playing basketball until, like, 9, 10 years old. You know how some people got they pop or they, they big brothers or uncles or whoever, you know, training them at 3 or 4 or 5. Like, I started playing basketball as a way to hang out with my two older brothers. Like, I got to get good because I'm tired of staying on the block and stay in front of the house. <laughs> like, I just started learning how to play. I was first a guy that just sit in the corner and just shoot when I was open. Right. Then it went from that, then becoming a, a better overall player by just like continue working on my game. But uh yeah, man, that, that motivated me just not sitting on the block and want to hang with my brothers and want to be under my two big brothers.
0: So who would you say you modeled your game after? A
1: little bit of everybody, man. Like as a kid I idolized like Tracy McGrady, um, Alan Iverson. Like I wanted to be like smooth, like A, I mean uh, T Mac, but like had a heart of A I for like A I had the biggest heart, you know. Especially at that time in the league, he was six foot, freaking nature, doing what he wanted, and uh, I, I just always wanted to be fearless. And I was on the court. I grew up in only small neighborhood, like all the way up north in Philly. Um, you know, typical neighborhood. You got devices, drugs, people getting killed, things like that. But I was um blessed to have a great mom and two older brothers. That um, kept me on a straight and narrow path, and I had, you know, thorough old heads that made sure I wasn't never doing nothing dumb on the corner or hanging around the wrong people. So it was like a village in my community that kind of protected me and made sure I stayed away from negativity.
0: Yeah, I would like to say that that's how our neighborhood was. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was a lot older. Like, mm-hmm. I always tell people my dad had me at 63, so I was never really allowed to like, play the corner. Mm-hmm. I was never allowed to go get high. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. So, I think that's important and in the community, especially in the black community. Oh, for sure. 100%. You know, um, I went to New McGreddy. <laughs> and uh, I guess coming in your yeah, ninth grade year, we, we heard about you. We <laughs> heard, <hype>. you know, the <laughs> hype is crazy. Like, you the best eighth grader in the city. Like, it was all there, man. And, um, we were excited to see you. You know, that's my senior year, but we were yeah. excited to see Tony yeah. Chenault out there. Man. <laughs> and um, just talking about, you know, I guess that transition from eighth grade to high school going to Newman Grady. It was
1: like, um, it was really a, a nervous, scary time for me because, um like I said, I'm from Albany Newman Grade's in South Philly. I never went to South Philly. So, like, going to, like, a new school with people from, like, a totally different part of the city from you was, like, foreign at the time. So when I first got there, like, I ain't really know nobody besides, like, my um my teammates at the time. So I was just, like, just trying to fit in, like, you know, but, like, as you know, when you're a basketball player. Everybody know who you is, but, like, you just want to be humble and not do too much and just know pe- let people know that you're a regular person, too, like. Just because I'm good at basketball, I don't mean you can't have a, convers- hold a conversation with me. But um, just going there, man. Um, I wanted to go there to compete for a spot. You know, Scoop was there at the time. Rick Jackson was there. Jamal Wilson. They just came off of winning the Catholic League championship. So, and they play a national schedule. Man, I want to be a part of that. I want to compete at the highest level and play with some of the best players in the city.
0: That's super dope. So what, like, you know, obviously that made you go there. Mm-hmm. What was your expectation? Like, what was the expectation your freshman year?
1: I just wanted to compete. Like, I didn't think I was going to go in there and start. Like, believe it or not, Coach Carl never told me, like, yo, you're going to come here, you're going to start. He just said, like, hey, man, we understand how good of a player you are. Um, you come here, you have an opportunity. you definitely going to play varsity, but you have an opportunity to compete for some minutes. So, for me being a competitor I am, I'm like, man, I'm sorry. I'm going to go there with the a mentality that I want to start. So, every day, man, I just competed. I wanted to guard school. Like, any drill we did, anything we did, even we – doing a walkthrough I'm guarding school. And that let coach the coaches know how competitive I was and how much I wanted to wanted that spot.
0: So who gave you that nod? you know, eventually they moved school kinda of off ball.
1: Yeah, um I think it came like in the like the fourth or fifth season of the game. Um we, we played in the Cornell Doherty tournament I played really well. Like we played like Cornell Doherty in the Academy New Church and I, I played really well in the tournament and then next thing you know we went up to Syracuse to play against Dante Green and Michael Delaney. I'm starting against Dante Green, who was top ten in the country. Wow. McDonald's All-American at Syracuse University, where Syracuse played at in the Dome. It was just like a, a wild, wild, like an eye-opening experience for me, man. Like, yo, man, like I'm here. <laughs>
0: you made it, huh? Yeah, like, like
1: I, like I arrived in the sense, like, yo, these these are the type of things, opportunities you dream of as a kid, like playing in front of, like, 20,000 people, on the, even on the high school level.
0: Just describe like uh, the relationship you had with that core group of guys your freshman year, and uh, maybe some of the um, attributes and the qualities that you maybe rubbed off from them their leadership.
1: Um, Scoop was like, Scoop was like, I would say, like the heart of that team. Like Scoop, he had he had a big personality. Um, Rick was just like the alpha dog. Rick was gonna be Rick regardless of, of who was around. Jamal was kind of like laid back, but I think I gravitated to Scoop a lot because on um, far as his leadership quality, like he was selfless. He didn't care if he scored 25 or we had 5 one. 11v1 won. And I had that same mentality. Like I, I didn't really care about individual accolades and you're playing for legacy. You know winning solves everything. And Scoop kind of taught me that mentality when I was a freshman there.
0: So what's your relationship like with Coach Carl in the stages at Numa?
1: Um, it, it was good, you know. I was just earning his trust. I was a freshman. Um, I was trying to, I was consistently trying to prove, and we got closer and closer. But at, at first, I was just a freshman, so it was just like I'm a 14 year old kid. I mean, you know, we had a relationship, but it wasn't to the the effect that it was. By the time I became a senior, by the time I became a young man, you know, we grow, we grow, we grow, we grew together when I was there. You know, I went from a boy to a, a young man by the time I left to go to college. So
0: how did that freshman year end?
1: And they end too well. <laughs> um, we lost the Roman in the championship game, man. Like, that's one game that would just always haunt me. We were up by 10 with, like, three minutes left, and Bradley wanted to make me play for the Celtics just came in, and he just turned into Megatron and just took over the game. And I thought we had the game won. I'm like, if we up by 10. We're going to win. Everybody, every, every, like the game is done. Brad got four fouls. He's not going to be as aggressive when he comes back in, and, I was wrong, you know. I always commended Brad for that game because, you know, Brad, like, he has had this will to win and that desire, like, I'm g- whatever it takes, we're going to win this game. And you can see all the, everybody from Roman follow his lead during that, during that game.
0: Just talk a little bit about that rivalry, Newman and Roman, <laughs> and what that means to you.
1: Listen, man, I don't talk to no Roman people <laughs> when Newman's about to play Roman. Even if we cool, we cousins, whatever we is, we ain't talking that day. Um I believe um, black and gold is a it, it's, it's instilled in me. Um and that, that rivalry is probably probably by far the, the best sports rivalry in Philadelphia, I think. Um it, it dates back to like Eddie Buster and they got all their fans there, we got our fans there, we just going back and forth and it's like the battle of Boar Street in a sense, that's why I call it, you know.
0: That's super it's super dope, man. It was it was a blessing to come to some of them yeah. games, man. The the atmosphere was just super different
1: different super different super competitive like we were all the thing about it like scoop and brad were like cool off the court but on the court you would think like they hated each other and and you had to respect that competitiveness you know what i mean and, and like guys like myself who was a younger guy on that team a younger guy on Rome, was like malik wings we had to fall in line when you see like your younger your, i mean your leaders competing leaving it all on the floor like that
0: so we um going into sophomore year what are some of the things you say you started to develop?
1: Uh, just started to get more confident in my scoring ability. You know, as a freshman, I didn't get an opportunity to shoot the ball that much because it was Scoop and Rick Show was their last go-around. So our whole offense and, and, and team was predicated around those two players. But my sophomore year, it was really me and Jamal. He was a senior. Um, It wasn't the year I wanted to have. You know, um, we lost to Bonner in the quarterfinals. And that was like the only time I ever lost to Bonner when I was at Newman. So, it was just uh. What
0: happened in that game? Please tell us.
1: Man, um, they had little Molly, Jamal Melvin, small, tough guard from us. Um, they had Elijah Thompson, the athletic big. Henry Smith, that went to Newman with us, transferred, yep. was hitting all the threes. I just think everything was on their side. They was playing more of a team. They had a certain co- cohesiveness that we didn't have my sophomore year. Um, We had moments my sophomore year where we get selfish as a team, and they capitalize off those moments and they knocked us out in the courts, in the quarterfinals.
0: Who will be considered your leader uh, that sophomore
1: year? Um, I, probably Jamal. Okay. Probably Jamal. He was a senior. I mean, I was I was a sophomore, so I was still young and experienced a lot of things. So it was just certain things that I didn't know and I didn't understand being so young. So it was a lot of expectation, but going into that junior year, things changed going into that junior year.
0: Um. <laughs> So
1: <laughs> change a lot. <laughs>
0: so when did the school start? You know, content can be real.
1: Be real with you, bro. Like eighth grade, like yeah, I was in office in eighth grade, like yeah, I was in office in eighth grade.
0: How do you offer an eighth grader?
1: Deion Wait is committed to Syracuse in eighth grade. That's, you know? that's yeah, that's committed to Syracuse before I even stepping into high school. That's crazy. So like schools was offering eighth grade back then because like if you was a talented eighth grade ninth grade they want not lock you. Lock you in before, like, the Kentucky's, the Dukes, the Memphis, the Kansas. Like, you know, certain schools, like, it's good, but you can't compete with those schools. Like, right. certain amenities those schools have.
0: So, it had been starting in eighth grade.
1: Starting in eighth grade,
0: yeah. Let's finish talking about high school. So, you were saying junior year, things change.
1: Yeah, junior year, things changed, man. Like, I think we all came back with um one common goal when that was the one. And whatever it took to win, that's what we was going to do. And we was all year older. We was all hungry. And I think that year we went undefeated in Catholic League play and, and, and won the Catholic League. Chip be run by forty. Yeah. That year, yeah. My junior year we run by forty. Malik Wayne's ain't played. play. He, he tore meniscus in the championship. We beat them bad. Who was year, on that? Man. Who was on that junior uh, year squad? Uh, on my team. Yeah. We, we remember Scooter? I know Scooter. I knew Scooter, yeah. Scooter, Rick Durant, Payal Lament Full, and Danny Stewart went to Rider, and Mustafa Jones who played at Fairly Diggerson. The shooter. Yeah, we had a squad. And we all was like, listen, we're not losing to nobody. And and, and that started that run where I think then my senior year, we didn't lose a game at all in the area. So, like, we didn't lose a game in the area in two years, whether Catholic or non league, and it started my junior year. That's a
0: crazy run.
1: Super crazy run. People, like, I sit back and I, I, I took it for granted during those times, like, how good of a team we were. Like, I think that, especially my senior year, that was, like, one of the best high school teams probably ever come, come out of Philly. You know what I mean? Thirty-two and zero, no, thirty-two and one. Lose the national championship game to Yates in Texas. I mean, Yates in Hawaii, the team from Houston, Texas, was blowing everybody out by 50 points, averaging close to 90 points in the last two years. So it's like that's definitely probably one of the top three teams, high school teams, of fully ever. If, so, you, if you look at the accolades of that.
0: So how, so how did uh, that senior year finish?
1: Senior finished good, man. We we won won a Catholic, league, one cities, one states, thirty two and one. You know, I won every player of the year award, Gatorade, State Player of the Year, Daily News, Enquire. I swept it. Um and all of that came from winning. If I haven't we haven't won all those games and been dominant on the national scale, I, have, I have won that I won the one none of those awards. That's crazy, y'all.
0: I always call people I always tell people it's a basketball factory in there, man. It's,
1: let's talk about the prestige of that school and that basketball program. I think it's, I think it's the things about Newman is Coach Carl has um ability to make you buy in and make you play for something that's much greater than yourself. Um, when you when you walk in there and he talks about the championships, the past teams and, and all the great players that play there, you want to be a part of one of those teams and you want to be one of those great players. So that's motivating in itself and it's something about Newman, man, that's always give me a special feeling when I go back, especially when I get a, a chance to talk to the guys that's there now and then let them know, like, do you understand what you're playing for? Like, when I was there, I understood what I was playing for. You know, like, each team has to understand it because you have to set the bar higher for the guys that come behind you. And I'm happy that was a, I was, I had the opportunity to set that bar higher for Newman ready and for the guys that came behind me to take it to another level.
0: So do you build relationships with them guys and let them know that you have passed the torch? And that yeah,
1: yeah, like for sure. Like you know, Kwali Green was one of the guys. Demar, um, Dada on um, round camp. Uh, um, yeah, Dada from Nova was one of those guys. Um, who else? Who else I talked to from the team? Chris Eames, kid's gonna ride. I like his game a lot. And then now the young point guard they got there, Hog Bird, who I think is like one of the most underrated guards in the Philly area. Like I have watched him play five six times this year. Each game he had it with twenty five. Mm. Hold his own against every major guard in this city, and like, it's like mind boggling. This kid only got like three Division one offers, but every time I see him go against kids that's high major, supposedly he neck and neck or get the best of them. Wow. <laughs> but that comes back for that Newman pedigree. Like I don't care who you is, who offers you, what you rank in the country, I'm going right at you.
0: So, during this, uh, your yeah, high school years, did you continue to play AAU basketball? Yeah, play played
1: AAU, travel, like, you know, like, to me, I played, when I was in eighth grade, I played 17 under, so by the time oh. I got, like, my last year at AAU, I stopped playing, because, like, I did all the tournaments already, like, peach the him like, I played against Derrick Rose as a 14-year-old, you know what I mean, in front of every coach in the country, so sometimes you can get overexposed, a so since I felt like I was overexposed, so, like. After the first two or three months, I just stopped playing. I just start focusing, like, on working on my game and getting ready for my senior year in college.
0: So, do you think AAU really benefits the athletes or do it? You think it overwork
1: them? I, to be honest, I think AAU yeah, overworks you, man, because like you play so many games. Like, on no other level in basketball, you do not play that many games. Just think about it: high school, you don't play that many games. College, you, you don't play that many games. You the, the NBA, you might play that many games, but the NBA is, is certain many like treatment. You could take days off. Like, you, like imagine it. You, you drive 12 hours and you got to play three games that day, you drive 12 hours.
0: That sounds crazy.
1: It's super crazy. Like, I remember one time we went to Indianapolis. We had to play as soon as we got to Indianapolis. We had to play. Our game was just starting.
0: No, it didn't even warm up.
1: It didn't warm up. You just drove a 12-hour ride, bro, and you didn't warm up. And you go out there and pull a hamstring and But it's just like, you just like, and then imagine playing on a high level, like, some kids play competitive AAU, you know what I mean? Like, circuit, like a Nike athleticist. Back then, when I was in high school, it was Reebok. Now it's like Under Armour replaced Reebok. They've been doing that from like sixth grade to 12th grade. That's six, seven years. Not counting high school basketball, you're probably playing over 200, 300 games a summer. That's taxing. Yeah, yeah, it's just a lot, man. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's just a lot. And I, I think AAU can be good if you limit the number of tournaments. It shouldn't, you shouldn't have to go on a tournament every weekend. He's on a tournament every weekend, bro. It was fun. Then they got tired at the job, after a while. Like, yo, come on, man. Every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> it's a recruiting
0: tool now, right? That the coaches are at the AAU tournaments mm-hmm. and they be able to see, they're able to see more than one athlete at a time. So they just...
1: Yeah, it makes sense from like, all right, so for example, like if I'm a coach like Shushiski or John Calipari and I don't want to travel to New York, I go see all the top players in Atlanta at an under Armour or Nike tournament. Yeah, I understand that, but like it takes away from – High school basketball, like like AAU, you can't really scout, you can't really plan, like you just really just playing. Right? right. You might put one or two sets in, you hoop it. But high school, you actually watching film, bro. Yeah. You learn tendencies. College, you watching film, you learn the tendencies. So I think if AAU had that core value to it where like you could study your opponents more, you could game plan more, it would be better. The right. quality of basketball would be better. Right. So it's
0: I don't want to say it's, like, it's almost like pick up a little bit.
1: I won't say it. I won't degrade it like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying it's like a structure pickup game, then. Because, like, dude, I, I remember I went to play in the team with LA. I didn't know nobody in this team. I met these guys as soon as I got to LA. And we just had to figure it out. Coach put one or two plays in before the game. And we who we wanted to win the tournament. But uh, we, we played like Alan Crabb. We played like a, a couple other guys from LA who's like guys in the league. But like you have to learn on the fly, which is good. understand mm-hmm. that. But like really like prepping and scouting and things like that, it it takes away all those components, which is important on the collegiate, high school, and professional level.
0: Yeah, I agree. So out of high school you went to Wake Forest. Yep. Why did you choose Wake Forest?
1: Uh number one, I, I had to get away from Philly, man. I've been in Philly my whole life. Um and it's just saying you never become who you're supposed to be until you leave that nest so i had to leave the nest with my family and friends and i had to go somewhere become a own man and secondly it was a great academic school great basketball school chris Paul, Tim duncan jeff teague afro gamino james johnson the yeah. list goes on and on crazy john list. Howard. it's a crazy list in the summer they all coming back and hoop. you get a chance to go go at all those dudes so those were some of the things that really attracted me there and um I wanted to compete in the ACC. I wanted to show that I could compete on the best level with college basketball.
0: So what was that uh, that first year, freshman year like?
1: It was difficult, um, meaning I was getting homesick a lot. I was second-guessing myself. Is this the right decision for me? Like, I'm not really having fun. I'm not i going to go home once a year. Um, I was just forced to come out my comfort, comfort zone. And when you grow, you get out your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that was a lot of growing pains for me. Then I broke my foot which made matters worse. So it was a lot, of, a lot of growing pains for me. And then by the time I went through all that, my freshman year and I played like about 12, 14 games. And then that prepared me for my sophomore year. People were like, why are you in a rare shirt? Like coming back and knowing what the ACC was like the second half of the season made me understand how hard I had to work going into that summer prior to my sophomore season.
0: How did you break your foot?
1: Man, it was like a free accident. I was having like, the fifth metal torso bone like the side of your foot. I was just having this weird, sharp pain. And I'm just thinking like, wait, let me ice it. Let me like do some treatment on it. But then it's like kept recurring. Like it will hurt one day. It won't hurt for like two days. it hurt again. So I'm like, something ain't right in my foot. I never felt like this before. And then first game in a uh, Joe Coliseum, we was playing that and wait, I cut down a basket. I just heard a bone snap. i like, yeah, was broke. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like, dev- it was devastating because I never had a major injury prior to that. I broke my foot. I never never had a major injury like that.
0: So, what kind of rehab, and How long was that process for real?
1: About two and a half months. It was about eight, eight, eight to ten weeks. Um, there's a lot, a lot of stuff with the band, running in the pool, Um, like a lot of balance things. Um, But it taught me patience. I had to learn how to understand the game of basketball from a cerebral perspective. I was always somebody that just go out there and hoop, 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 right? Yeah. But now I had to understand angles, how to come off ball screens. I was just watching, like... Other dominant guards that we might play against. I'm just watching how they're effective, the and it made me such a better player.
0: So what happened on uh, what happened sophomore year? Just
1: killing. <laughs> Started <laughs> getting buckets. Has had a couple big games in the ACC. I, I was just confident, and that all came from that preparation my freshman summer.
0: Yeah, just talk about playing against Duke and North Carolina. That conference is crazy,
1: super crazy, man. People understand. People talk about like Duke, North Carolina, but people don't talk about like teams like Clemson. Like how tough they were like teams like Florida State. Florida State got like eight seven footers. I don't know where he'd be finding these seven footers and they come in like every two, three minutes. We playing Florida State. They point guard six six. <laughs> she
0: cool.
1: like, like the point guard was six six. Everybody the start of five was over six six. I'm like, and I'm like six foot six one. So it's like it it was it was different. Who else we played against? I, I think that was really good. Uh Boston College usually good. They had Reggie Jackson when I was there. He played for uh Detroit Pistons now. Mm-hmm. So like just going against some of the best guys in in collegiate sports and dudes that's in the league. Kyrie was at Duke, Noah was at Duke. Um, it was just tough, man. Every night he was playing against like three or four NBA players.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> so what was like the workload like? Was uh was it hard for you academically?
1: No, um they had a good um academic support for like the athletes that wait for us, like meaning that it was like mandated that we had to log a certain number of hours of of, of tutor with our tutor each week so like they stayed on us and they hold us they held us accountable for making sure we got our work done you know what I mean and, and going to Newman helped out a lot too like I had teachers like Mr. Stewart you probably remember Mr. Stewart yeah. and then teachers like that that would be on me like yo man like this is not no easy school
0: what is your dynamic like when you come home sometimes you know because I want went away to school I played division two football at IUP five mm-hmm. hours away mm-hmm. a little bit closer to Pittsburgh and I just felt like when I went home the love was still the same but it was distant it was like you the college boy now
1: yeah, sometimes you feel that. I mean, the, the thing that was saddest for me, man, is just seeing people in the same spot. Yes. It, it it really, like, whoa, man. Like, it was scary in a sense. Like, like yo, bro, you're not living. Like, mm-hmm. you was doing this back in 2009, 2010, 2012, 2013. Like, what's up, man? Like, what you doing? Like, where's the evolution? Like, how mm-hmm. you evolve or how you better yourself? And, you know, you try to have those conversations with your friends, your family, but your mind only grows well until you get out of your comfort zone and when you get away from what you know. So once you start getting away from what you know, like when I got to wake and I start seeing kids driving around business, I'm starting to hear some of my friends talking about they dad own Fortune 500 companies or like dad's got vacation homes in the summer. And, you know, I ain't taken vacation in the last eight years of my life. Like right. just things like that, it, it it changed your trajectory of life and your perspective of life. to like, no, like, yo, I could live this life.
0: Yeah. I
1: don't got to live that life back where I'm from. And it, and, it, and it opened my eyes. It definitely was an eye-opening experience for me that I needed.
0: I feel like I had the same exact experience. <laughs> and I think it was like after my freshman year, Um, one of the guys, Nate Morrow, mm-hmm. he, he lived closer to school. Mm-hmm. But like, going to his house to see that, oh, they got a nice house. Mm-hmm. Or like, they went we had a boat on the river. Mm-hmm. And like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, yo, I want all this. Mm-hmm. Like, even if it's not in this area, but I, like, you know, we deserve this. You yeah. know, so, like, that was always, I always thought big picture. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't say that everybody around me thought like that, mm-hmm. but I always thought like that. And I think in college, I just hit a button when I started seeing people have more. And you're it's right. It's
1: possible. And we need to know that, like, black, you know, black black men coming from, mm-hmm. it really is possible. You can live the life that you dream and and. and that you're dreaming about and like, yo, man, like, because growing up, like, it's a lot of things we're told that we can't do.
0: Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? And it's not, I didn't really understand who I was until I got to college So I started reading. I never really read prior to college. Yeah.
0: You
1: know what I mean?
0: I feel, I feel like I didn't even study prior to college, <laughs> yeah,
1: to be honest. But, you, but, and you you realize reading and studying is actually cool. Yeah. It's fun. Like, before, like, you know, high school, middle school, oh, that's corny, man. You were worried. Are you reading? You, going, you better go do your homework. But in college, like, the more information you was learning, um, especially about you know when you really start learning about who you are as a person, like where you come from, you know your, your past history. Like yeah. I, I start learning about all that stuff. I start studying black history more. Like I was more excited to read than more than ever in college.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about junior year. Mm-hmm. What happens junior year?
1: So um, before we get to junior year, like you know great sophomore year and week um towards the second half my mom is struggling with her health she has severe asthma issues um so like you know all of sophomore year I'm, I'm talking to like my best friend who's actually played that week with me Charles McCoy man I don't know if I might be coming back next year bro my mom not doing well her health deteriorating and then um I had to make that tough decision on um, to transfer back home and I decided to transfer it back to Norman. Mm-hmm. The relationships you created, like you know, some of the relationships I created with people down at Wake Forest are lifelong friends, and people I consider family that always hold a special place in my heart. But you know, where we come from, man, like if something wrong with your mom or mm-hmm.
0: something
1: wrong with your family member, you'll sacrifice it all, and that's how I just grew up. So my mom needed me to be closer, to be more accessible to her. So that's why I decided to transfer it back to Norman. Tell me about Norman, like it was different. You know, coming coming from it was, it was a major transition just like school like um week was a little more diverse student population um nova was just like at week people knew who you were the athletes but at nova you were on a pedestal because it's basketball players are really god like at right. week you had a football program who was really good too mm-hmm. they had a lot of guys go to the nfl but nova it's basketball 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 so like when you got there Everybody knew who he was, but at Nova, my junior year was a struggle. My brother got killed, who was, like, my father figure in my life. Innocent bystander. He was down in our neighborhood trying to help one of his homies get a job, and some people had a misunderstanding or a difference with somebody in the neighborhood, and they shot the Porsche up, and my brother wound up being the guy that got killed that night. So that just, like, it changed my whole trajectory, changed my whole perspective of life to know that, like, you, you can you can lose your life, and they all be taken away from you at any given moment. Mm-hmm. And, like, I would just battle on that throughout my whole junior year, and it wasn't until my, my second half of my junior year where I had to, like, realize my brother not coming back. No matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter how many people I hate, no matter how many people I blame, like, try to play the victim, he's not coming back. And this is your situation. You chose to transfer here. Things not going the way you envisioned it was supposed to go. But it's the saying, you make your big, you outlaying it. And once I, I, I came to terms with that, I started playing much better my junior year, which, you know, I didn't start, but I was like the sixth man off the bench. And I was like a key player in helping us get to the NCAA tournament that year because the year before that, No. one won 12 games. They were struggling. Yeah. So they were looking to bring in guys that could kind of help them resurgence the program a little bit. And I was one of those guys as a leader coming off the bench for them.
0: So, what was it like playing with, for Jay Wright? Um,
1: Jay, Jay was, thing I respect about Coach Wright, man, he's going to challenge you every day. Um, You may not like it. You may not agree with it. But every day, bro, like every day, every little thing, he's a perfectionist. Everything you do, yeah. how you walk in the gym, how you approach things, how you... How, how you responded back during films—that's just like everything. And it was not until I really got out of there, I, I I really started to appreciate it because as you become your own man, life is hard, and you don't have discipline at what you're doing, you can easily fall straight to like temptation, mm-hmm. temptation that could risk your freedom, your life. You know what I mean? A lot of different things, and and that discipline he stilled in us will make us successful men. And that's why I appreciate it most about that experience.
0: Yeah, you know, sometimes we need that structure. Yeah. And sometimes we need people to kind of um, push us mm-hmm. in, to the limits mm-hmm. that we don't even know we have. Yeah. yeah. It sound like it was that for you.
1: Yeah, man. Like, like, my brother got killed, like, and he was on me. Like, he ain't, it wasn't like, I'm talking about, like, on me every day, like, because he understood that I couldn't go back to that. Right. I'm like, damn, why are you on me like this? Like. He, he knew my situation. Like, man, like, this kid can't go back to that. I got to make – this is my way to make sure he don't go back to that and make sure he won't break to go back to that or fall temptation to those vices. And, like, sometimes you got to sit back and you reflect and I reflect. And like, I got it now. I, I understand why he did what he did. But as a 20, 22, like, man, come on, man. Like, why are you doing this, Coach? Like, you, yeah. but if you're a kid, you caught up in a moment, right? But it's not until you become a man, you're 25, 26. You're able to reflect a little bit, you have a little perspective on life, and you understand and you appreciate that.
0: So, what was how, would, how did you see senior year go?
1: Senior year was cool. Um, we uh we won the big east tournament. Um, what else we number two seed? We beat Embiid in them in the Bahamas at the Battle of Atlantis with Embiid and Andrew Williams. Wow, that was that was a cool experience. They had the number one pick and number three pick on that team. And I, like I said, like I went from being the man to being like one of those guys, like with just like a reserve, like a complimentary player. And I embraced that role. When I first got there, I was like, I was the man my whole life. I'm like, yo, man, like, why I gotta take less shots? Why are my minutes being cut down, but it was just like I had to do what was best for the team and it's like that sometimes in life, like you may have to take a job, you may not want, but you got a family to feed. So yeah. all though that particular Role there taught me so much about being selfless, about being disciplined, and about just doing what you got to do.
0: It sound real humble, and like yeah, I can Definitely humble
1: experience. It's definitely humble experience. I was, like I said, and I'm in Philly too. So it's like I've been a man in Philly my whole life. Dude's like, Yo, why why you not shooting the ball more? Like, why are you not doing this? Why are you not? Playing? Man, my team will need me to do that. If we winning, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know what I mean? a, young, a lot of young guys have a hard time of grasping. Like, you may not be that dominant player in high school that you were in college. And it doesn't mean you're not a good player no more. Circumstances changes, and your team needs to do something different for them to be successful. They might not need to score 30 points. But a Um, lot of young athletes have a difficult time understanding that and grasping that.
0: So, like I said, I'm a football dude, Mm -hmm. and I think it's so important, like, players go to certain systems. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it the same in in basketball? Yeah,
1: it is. Like, if, if, if you don't go to a school that fits your game, you can get lost in the sauce. Yeah. You know what I mean? You just can like, you know what I mean? If you're an athletic guy and you need to be up and down, you might not want to go to a school that play a Princeton off. Yeah.
0: So, after your senior year, did you have, like, the pro aspirations?
1: Nah, man. Like, I was, like, even just, let's take it back to senior year. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm jumping all over the place. But, um, yeah, so prior to my senior year, my mom passes away. My mom passes away, so I lost my mom and my yeah. brother a year apart, so these are the two most influential people in my day. I just want to move on with my life. So my, throughout my whole senior year, I'm doing the back of my mind, I'm not, I'm not going to the NBA draft. I'm not going to that training camps. Like I'm not going overseas. I'm not doing none of that. And I had to figure it out. So throughout that whole year, I'm just like trying to figure. It out. I'm trying to join any like extracurricular activity that my basketball schedule schedule permits, because I know I'm not going hoop at the college. So I took this class with this professor named Steve McWilliams. It was like the intro to like acting and screenwriting, and I just fell in love with it. Like I felt like, oh man, I love. Always had a passion for writing, but having the ability to tell a story from my perspective and create like thought provoking content was really what drew me into filmmaking. Because a filmmaker, you have a voice, and at the time, I needed a voice in my life. I needed an outlet to express how I was feeling. You know what I mean?
0: That makes a lot of sense. Um, so, what do you think um, are some of the challenges the guys do face going overseas to play basketball?
1: Um, the perception versus reality. Every overseas guy I'm gonna go over there and make two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars. Gonna play one of the best leagues. The reality is not. It's not work that way. Some guys might go over there and make less than thirty thousand annually. Might make probably less than two thousand a month. It's humbling. Mm-hmm. It's humbling. And then you come back, and everybody think you have more than what you have, but you have to play the game with them. Like you had to put on the mask. Like, yeah, yeah, but for real, you broke. And I understood that reality. And I understood, like, yo, I'm preparing for life after basketball, man. Like basketball, this basketball got me here. It got me from Albany to all over the world. Got a free education. I got I got everything I was supposed to get out of it. And sometimes us an athletes has a difficult time because we always wants to go out on top of being like the guy. But sometimes it just don't work like that. Everybody's story is not written that way, and I was just I was happy that I was able to accept that reality. That it oh, it's over. I'm cool with it.
0: So you had a little bit of a smoother transition oh, yeah. to life after sports.
1: Yeah, I was able to accept that reality. I wasn't living in the past. I wasn't upset that it, any coach or anything like that. Like I got, I feel like I got the most out of basketball, so, and I use basketball. Basketball don't use me. Sometimes your sport can use you. We're just. You could be playing to you forty and like yo, I, the last ten years, what was I doing? Why I just ain't stopped? <laughs> right,
0: no, I definitely feel that. So we get into filmmaking mm-hmm. and directing now, man.
1: Yeah, man, that's what that's what I'm doing now, man. That's my passion, man. Um, you know, I, I'm directing an uh, online series called I oh yeah, Created it right after graduating from um, Villanova. We're going to our third season. You know, we probably got like over three million views in our YouTube channel all together and. I just wrote my first feature film that we're going to do this summer called Dollar Party. And it's something that I believe in myself. Like when it's all said and done, I want to be a director like Spike Lee, Martin Scorsese, Martin Scorsese Francis Coppola, like on that Mount Rushmore, you know, of making thought provoking content, thought provoking narratives that, that really could drive social change. So uh, I fully really envision myself doing that in the next 15, 20 years.
0: Just for some of our listeners, you know, if they have young young people who may be interested, like, how do you get into, you know, filmmaking and directing?
1: Um, you could just just pick up a camera, man. To be honest, like Alpha K, like before, like back 15, 20 years ago, you had to go to film school. You had to like have the expensive equipment, but just get a DSLR camera and just learn how to shoot. Like I learned everything from, like I said, don't no have a big film program, but we mm-hmm. have some film electives there. I learned from those film courses, and I learned from YouTube, everything, and just try and error, like, just learning how to edit, learning how to write, you know, the, the more you write, the better writer you become, directing, I just learn on the fly, like, I, I want to go visit, like, recently, I went to go visit a set on Bumpy Johnson, which is, where far as Whitaker is playing, I, I was up there for, like, a day or so, just, like, shadowing the director, you know what I mean, see how he directs, see how he interact with his actors, and these are all A-list actors, and the process is still the same. He just he has more resources and he has millions of dollars when he direct. You know what I mean? So you can't never cheat the process of anything you're doing. That's why I tell young people all the time. So I just say be proactive, man. You don't need to go to film school. You can just get a camera, a DSLR camera, or, and go to YouTube, learn how to edit, and learn how to operate your own camera.
0: So just take us a little bit into your writing process. Um, even like you know uh, some of the maybe some of your experiences that went into the series over here. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Yeah, but growing up in Philly, man, I, like I said, I had my father in my life. So I had always who was always sterile, man, that like really, really taught me the game. I'm not talking the game from like a street level, just taught me the game of life, like the importance of being the right person, the importance of standing on your word, the you know, all those different things that make me who I am now. And um, I wanted to create a series about that, create a series about like why we don't have those type of figures in our community no more. You know why we don't have their old heads to see a young boy in the corner, punch him in his chest, then walk him home, take him home to his mom. Hey, Miss Jackson, Zaire was out here on the on, on the corner. We ain't doing that. Yeah. And your mom agreed with him. We don't have that no more. And um, we need to bring back those figures. We need to create that type of um atmosphere in our community because a lot of kids are getting killed out here, man. A lot of kids like just like three or four kids in the last few months, my neighborhood got killed in gun violence. And it don't be over nothing. just be misunderstand. misunderstandings like social media beefs and things that's just like on the surface minute. Like, this person ain't take no money from you. He ain't warm your family. He just said something you don't like on social media. You gonna shoot him? Yeah. So it's just sad, man. And that all comes back from not having the really become organized chaos. And that's what it is right now in our community. This is my platform to really address those issues and to create a universe to what could be like. We had leaders. What opportunities and positive revenue streams could be in our communities and how our people could live better lives.
0: I really like that, bro. Mm It's funny, um, I moved into an apartment a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. It's probably like maybe two, three years ago. And I remember not having... um, cable yet mm-hmm. you know you move into a place you do have cable for a while mm-hmm. but I had internet <laughs> and I tuned in like season one I like tuned right in and I put some of my boys on like my yeah, boys Lamar and stuff it, like man. that I like check Tony out and you know people remember your name your name is you know um Locally, people know your name. So, I mm-hmm. oh, yeah, Tony got a little serious. Don't <laughs> out. And, and that's what I was doing until my cable came. So, I threw my support. It's a, I got a view in there. No, so, I man.
1: appreciate that, man. I definitely. It, it, that's what it matters, man. Like, and people always think supporting is giving something financially. Supporting is, like, word them off. Like, yo, man, like, tell this, your home and the watch. If we all support each other, we all can evolve quicker and get yeah. to where we need to get at quicker.
0: So, how do you get your actors, and Like, how do you screen your cast? You know? Uh,
1: we, like, do some, like, it's this thing for actor called Backstage.com. We put, like, different casting posts on there for actors, and then we do, like, film, film, film.org for actors, and then we do, like, social media castings. Um, yeah, we work with a lot of actors, a lot of actors from Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey area are part of some of our projects
0: you know so how big is the operation right now like who's all involved in your projects
1: well i we got a business partner um he's actually producing all our content joshua meekins um and then we just outsource the production team like for each project we hand pick the directors of photographers we want to work with the grips the sound guys um it all depends on the, the budget of the project we we'll determine our, the production team we, we out we uh, we outsource the to come in and do our production with
0: that's super dope man um so when it comes to filmmaking who are some of your big inspirations
1: spike lee um like i said mario scorsese ryan coogler um francis coppola um those guys cause i feel like they all had an authentic voice and um they each got different directing styles you know Spike those real good with, like, controversial-type films, thought-provoking films, Ryan, Ryan Coogler has a way of finding truth the way how he pans the camera, in know, way. and, of course, I love Francis Coppola because the Godfather series, I think, that's one of the, the greatest, like, trilogies ever for film. Um, you know, everybody growing up imitated, you know, um, Don Corleone, Michael Col- Corleone, mm-hmm. those characters, so...
0: So um, what should we expect? Some of the stuff to be dropping that you're working on? Well,
1: oh yeah, season three be dropping the next month or so, and then um, like I said, Dollar Party is is we're gonna go in production this summer. I'm really excited, you know, because it's like it's like for me, it's like going from like college to lead, like from doing online content to so really doing my future film. Like this something I've been working working towards since 2014. So I'm just excited to really push myself and really show. What I could do on a macro level as a creator and director, given you know the resources that's that you have on that macro level, what can I what what can I be done? What what can I create at that level?
0: So we knew who you were in a Jersey, man. <laughs> who, who is Tony Schumacher now?
1: Um, a leader, um, a brother, a friend, um, just somebody that's dependable and somebody that's gonna you know you know, create, you know, different narratives with a purpose, with a attention to, to really push the culture forward, man. You um, know, I think, I think we, we got to have it, our people to like live in life with attention, like attention of doing something much greater than ourselves. Like everybody's so caught up living for the moment or capturing the moment. They don't know what they're playing for. And when you don't know what you're playing for, you don't know your end game, there's no clarity. You need clarity in life. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I understand as I, Becoming to my own man.
0: So do me a favor. Yeah. Name me three athletes that you wanna hear from.
1: Uh great question. Um Flip Murray. Flip Murray. That's my old head. Great story. You know, I went to Shaw. Streetball legend. Um Sada. gotta get Sada on here, another streetball legend. And Brittany that wanted DePaul. I think Brittany got a really great story. Brittany last name. Forgive me, Brittany. But she wanted to Paul She's a Harlem Globetrotter right now. And I think you're with your ass story. Oh, man.
0: Well, we're going to try to get them. Let and me know
1: if I can help, man. We yeah, can make that happen.
0: Definitely put a little word yeah, in. Get it, be the that. buffer for something yeah, like that.
1: Yeah, definitely can make that happen. man. Like I said, just like. Because the reason I really recommend Flip is Flip, like. He went to the league, and he had an untraditional route. He didn't go to a big division one school. He went to Mm Shaw. Then he went to, like, three Jucos prior to Shaw. So his love for the game was constantly tested. Like, you got to respect somebody's journey like that. When your love for your game, like, you're going and playing, like, somewhere in in Kansas or somewhere in small town Texas, like, Mm -hmm. for basketball. Like, you know what I mean? And then you've seen all your friends, dudes you destroy at big-time schools. But you know the cream always rises to the, cro- the cream always rises to the top. So and I think that was uh, the case for him.
0: Yeah, man. I think it's a lot of legends just like mm-hmm. him that you know people would love to hear from. So like that's gonna be my thing, man. Who do you recommend? Mm-hmm. We are gonna try to go out there and find them so people can hear from them.
1: No, for sure, bro.
0: No, Tone. I'm happy to have you here, man. Coming
1: Thanks for out- having me, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs>